Welcome to the podcast of Rainbow Family Christian Center with Pastors Horace and Patricia Drumming. We would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you are impacted, inspired, and encouraged by the Word of God. Let's check out today's message. I think we need to get in the Word right now. Go in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. Hallelujah. There's a couple things that I want to share with you in the way of announcement. You know, we're going to Israel, and I think every, every child of God ought to go to Israel. I believe you do, because, you know, the Bible says there's going to be a new heaven, a new Jerusalem. I believe you need to go see the Jerusalem that exists today. We're going in October, October 7th, and we'll come back, uh, I believe, on the 17th of October. But every child of God, there are brochures out on, in the lobby. I'm going to show a short clip just to kind of give you uh, a, a kind of an interest of what you will see uh, everywhere every time we go to Israel I preach and uh, it's nothing like opening your Bible up in the site it looks like we'll go to the Mount of Beatitudes you know that's where Jesus uh, uh, preached his sermon to be there to sit there to hear a message being preached there We'll, we'll get out on a boat. You remember uh, uh, out on the boat, uh, Peter stepped out in faith and actually walked on the water. I'm not going to ask anybody to step out the boat, but we'll be on the boat. And we're going to preach the word. It, 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 and I know people will say, Pastor, I can't go. Uh-uh. This is why this message, I believe this is why God said, go back in the laurels of what I've taught you and preach it again. First time I ever heard this message in a format, was a, I credit to a man named John Maxwell. And John, we, I had the privilege of having lunch with him out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, along with a bunch of other pastors. I don't want to make it like, seem like it was a private meeting. But, uh, and he started to talk about this particular thing. He says, there are giants in the land. How many of you know you have some giant things coming at you? In 2023, you're going to get a victory, but I want to tell you, to get to your victory, you're going to have to move a mountain. But how many of you know you can move a mountain? You can speak to a mountain and tell the mountain, get out of my way. You might face a giant, but how many of you know giants do fall? And, and so the essence of this, ma this message is uh, every one of us need to know how to be a giant slayer. Amen? Some of you face some giant things in your marriage. Sometimes you face some giant families in your, some giant problems in your family. You face some giant problems with your health but you're going to have to know how to defeat a giant and when I finish today I hope you will have taken copious notes or you'll go back and you'll look at the recording and get a hold of this message see God had to get a hold of me there were some giant things we were facing and God said in order to get past the giant young man you're going to have to put back in how many of you go the Holy Ghost will bring things to your remembrance and it wasn't just for me because I thought well it's just for Miss Pat and I, and God says, no, this is for this congregation. Yeah, Everybody say, Giant Slayer. Giant Slayer. Folks, we ain't talking no Star Wars stuff here either. We'll be pulling out them little old phony looking thing. I'm talking about a true sword. I'm talking about a true sword, the sword of his spirit. This word, the Bible says, is medicine to all of your flesh. Health to your navel, marrow to your bone, glory to God. You serve, we serve a powerful, mighty God. 
How many of you remember the story of David and Goliath? You remember David didn't take any guns with him. He didn't take any grenades with him. And yet he was able to slay a giant. I want to give you three points about being a true giant slayer. I'm going to give you three things to just, you might call them observations. And then I'm going to give you some things that will help you to realize how will you slay a giant. Whatever that situation or mountain that you're facing, God says it has to fall. It has to come down. Amen? Here's number one that I want to say to you. Every giant will introduce you to who you really are. You're going to be either a person of great faith or great fear. Every giant will introduce you to who you really are. I think about this thing that we call COVID. It introduced some people to who they really are. Some people fell in great fear. But some stood up with great faith. Some said, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Some stood up and said, every tongue that rise up against me in judgment, God will condemn and prove it to be wrong. What were they doing? Standing on the word. Folks, when we say standing on the word, I know it sounds a little strange, and most people are saying, what is he saying? Take your Bible and stand on it? No. We're talking about take the Bible and make sure it's in your heart. Make sure it's coming out of your mouth. Make sure that you're meditating in it day and night. So when a giant come, you don't fall. He falls. It falls. Not you. So every giant Number one, will introduce you to yourself. Now, even if you were the person that were in fear, you can come out of that fear. God will translate you out of that kind of darkness over into his marvelous light. The entrance of God's word is what gives you this light, though. Here's point number two. People who have reached giant positions have faced giant obstacles. People who have reached giant positions have faced giant obstacles, and I might add, and have overcome. How many know you overcome? Say, I'm an overcomer. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I'm an overcomer. And how do you overcome? The Bible says through the book of Revelation, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What blood are you talking about? I'm talking about the blood that was shed on Calvary. I'm talking about the blood that poured out water and blood pouring out of the side of Jesus, washing us from our sin, cleansing us from all unrighteousness, making it possible that the devil couldn't cross that line. He'll form weapons, but they won't prosper. But every person who have reached a giant position, you might want to know what their story is. Because I guarantee you, they've gone through some giant obstacles and they've come out on the other side. Amen? The third thing that I want to do in the way of observation to get you ready for what do you need to be focusing on so that you can slay the giant. Giants are often tools by which God fashions us for greater things. Do you realize that David was being fashioned for something greater? David had been a shepherd boy. David had been a psalmist, a musician. What was God, God fashioning him for? To be a captain of the armies and ultimately to be the king of the nation. 
God is fashioning you to for something great. Say, this year, God is fashioning me for something great. In 2023, there is a victory for you, but you're going to have to go through the giant, and you shall go through the giant. It shall not hinder you. What shall hinder me? If God be for me, who and what can be against me? God wants you to know he is with you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Lo, he will be with you. Look, I am not going to try to tell you some people may walk away. Some people may run away. Because in this story of David and Goliath, the army is not doing what God is requiring the army to do. But there's one young man by the name of David that says, no matter what the army is not doing, no matter what the king is not doing, I will do the will of God. Somebody shout, I will do the will of God. David did the will of God, and David came out with a victory. If you will do the will of God. See, so many of you got your eyes on the wrong person. You got your mind on the wrong thing. The Bible says if you'll keep your mind stayed on Jesus, Jesus will keep you. Jesus will keep you. Jesus will keep you, and he'll keep you in perfect peace. He will give you victory after victory after victory. The devil wants you to stop. The devil wants you to sit down. The devil wants you to take a day off. How many of you know you living in the real world, you better not take a day off? The devil is every day looking to kill, to steal, and to destroy. God is looking to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. God is looking for you to look to the hill from which comes your help. Your help, your help is coming from the Lord. The Lord knows the hurt. The Lord knows the pain. The Lord can fix it all. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is impossible with God. And God is looking for some people like a David that will slay a giant. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to jump over into this. You should write the word traits of, of a giant killer. Traits. T-R-A-I-T-S. I know I get talking fast. You say, what did he just say? Traits of a giant killer. These are traits that every pastor should want to see in their congregation. These are traits that should be something that you can look in your life and say, I've got this trait. I've got this in my DNA. I've got this in my makeup, in the fiber in which God has created me. Number one, it's not a heavy rabbi here. Giant killers don't start out as giant killers. Somebody was in, on a tour out in a European tour, and they went to this little town, and it looked so nostalgic, and, and, and it just had a, as you might say, a powerful presence. And one person that was on the tour saw an older man who looked like he, you know, he, a rugged appearance, and he looked like he'd been in that village for a long time. And, and he said, and, and the man gets off of the tour bus, and he asked this older gentleman, he said, have there been any great men born in this village. And the old man looked at him and he says, no, just babies. Just babies. 
You don't get to be a man until you're first a baby. You don't get to be a strong in the faith until you start in the faith. You walk it out. You mature. You grow. Literally, the Bible says, you start off with milk. I don't care how much you say, give me the meat. You can't handle the meat. You got to start with the milk. And if you'll stay on the milk for as long as you need to stay on the milk, then you can get ready for some meat. And God will help you to mature. God will help you to grow. God will help you to get to the place where you will be able to take out a giant. First Samuel, I told you to go there? I didn't? I, I think I put something totally different in my notes back there. But First Samuel, chapter 17. Okay? It, you, you need to read this. I would say chapter 16 and 17. Uh, so today, uh, read it in its entirety. It will put it in. I've got to preach it from uh, some verses. Uh, verse 20 is where I want you to uh, kind of land with me here as we talk about this first trait is that giant killers don't start off as giant killers. They don't start off as giant killers. I don't know who's on the media for me. I find First Samuel... Um, I believe I want to be in chapter 16. 1 Samuel. You, you're there? You, you found it? 1 Samuel. Look at chapter 16. We're going to be between 16 and 17. started maybe verse 19 I think contextually it would be clearer what am I trying to show you at this point David has a role and an occupation that seems to not be important in the eyes of people I mean you know that David didn't even get invited when they were looking for a king they didn't even uh, Jesse didn't even think about bringing David the man said where are your sons and he brought all of the older sons, David's older brothers, into the room. And the prophet said, it's none of these. How many of you know God will take the simple things to confound the wise? See, some people think it ought, ought to be all this and all that, and I got to have this and I got to have this. What you've got to have is God. You, just, you need God. You need a, an anointing from God. You need to be in the presence of Almighty God. And David had come to a place in his young life where he just, he loved God. How many of you love God in here this morning? Come on. If you really love God. You know, when we used to sing songs with kids, it says, if you're happy and you know it. No, I like the one that says your face ought to show it. If you're happy and you know it, I mean, David is happy with God. David's seen God do some things. 
But David didn't start off as a giant killer. Look at this, starting in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's go to verse 19. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, which is with the sheep. Look, where's David? With the sheep. What is Saul doing? Saul is, I'm not going to read it all. Uh, Saul is asking for David because he wants David to come and play music. It's kind of like me saying, send me Whitney and Sarah and send me Prody and send me Cece. You know why Saul is sending for David? Because demons are plaguing him. Saul has gotten into a place now in his life where he used to follow God. I mean, you know that sometimes you, if you, if you really check your life, you'll find that I used to follow God. Saul kind of depended on his own strength, his own stature, his own ability, his own education, his own reputation. God don't care nothing about that. God's looking for the obedient. This is why that expression when it says, God is not calling the qualified. He is qualifying the call. You, you, you might want to have a call from God. You might not want to just step up and say, look, this is who I am. This is what I can do. See, you can do nothing apart from him. And all of a sudden, Saul is realizing he's been trying to do and run the country and run Israel on his own. And the demons said, look, we got him now. I mean, you know, demons know when you're with God and when you're not. We, we all we need to do is look at the sons of Sceva. The sons of Sceva said, I think I can do what they do. And they went in to confront some demons. And the demon says, Paul I know. Call out a few other names and say, and even Jesus I know. But who you? What you doing up here stepping up to a demon and don't even know Jesus? What you doing stepping up saying, I'm going to be this or that in God's house? And you don't even know Jesus. What are you doing saying, I'm going to step in a pulpit and try to preach this word? And you don't know Jesus. And so the demons knew that they didn't know Jesus. They didn't have any anointing. And the Bible says them demons jumped on the sons of Sceva and ripped their clothes off, folks. That's a whipping. In the South, we would say that's a whooping. They, they, they took a whooping and ran out in the street naked. Look, say, not me. I will submit to God. You got to submit to God. The Bible says, don't lean to your own understanding on any matter. Acknowledge God in what? All of your way. And what? He will direct the path. Folks, I don't even listen to myself. I have to say and speak to self. Self, get out of the way. Self, get out of the way. If you don't deal with self, folks, the biggest problem that we have, and I got this from T.D. Jakes years ago. He said, the enemy, and some of you know this, it's spelled I-N-A-N-R-M-E. Who is the enemy? The enemy is in a... 
It's the end of me. You got to deal with you. Saul hadn't dealt with himself. The children of the, the Israeli army hadn't dealt with him. But David had dealt with himself. And he knew, I can't do anything without God. See, do you realize what the, 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 the children of Israel, the army of Israel had done? This giant, 1 Samuel chapter 7, this giant has come out every day. Go, go to the 17th chapter. We'll, you, you, you understand David started out not as a giant killer. David was a messenger. David was a sheep herder. David was a musician. David had all of the jobs that wasn't considered important. I mean, you know, you can't say to anybody in the body of Christ, what you do is unimportant. Everything that everyone does to serve God is important. It's just like your human body. You cannot say that any part of your human body is not necessary. I mean, you know what it would happen if I cut off your big toe. You won't be able to run anymore. If I cut your big toe off, your battle days are over. And in, in, in other words, with running, you have no balance at that point. And but we don't think about that when we run or we, we get in a hurry. Somebody, somebody, thank God for your body right now. Just thank God. Thank God for all the components of your body that's working orderly as it should. Don't ever think of anything. But now let's flip this over to human beings. This is. Every Christian, now I know this won't include all Christians, but all those that are in here, this is the body of Christ. Yeah. And don't be looking at other people and saying they're not important. That's right. They don't do what I do. They don't sing like I sing. They don't preach like I preach. They don't ush like I ush. They don't teach like I teach. That's not what it's all about, folks. It's all about am I fitly joined in the body of Christ? Am I fitly joined and am I a contributing? See, sometimes people aren't contributing, they're critical. All they do come in and just criticize. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Ooh, all right. <laughs> Woo! Both barrels feel like they loaded today. Ah! Glory to God. God is good. But here's the thing. The giant came out and he taunted the army of Israel for 40 days. Everybody say bully. Can you imagine being bullied for 40 days? And when the bully come out, you see him, you hear him, and you run back in the house. Because that's what the Israel army was doing. They would come out, they would make a lot of noise, but as soon as the giant came out, they almost run over each other, running back into their tents. Now, you know what I call this concerning the church? A holy huddle. I'm going to use this word huddle because most of you are familiar with football. And what happens before they go to run a play? They all go and get in a huddle. Folks, this morning, these services are like a holy huddle. Now, today, there are going to be four teams that will, can you imagine, I'm, I'm just going to use a, a Philadelphia and San Francisco are playing for the NFC championship. 
Can you imagine if Philadelphia players all went in the huddle? But as soon as they saw the San Francisco Giants come out, they all run back in the locker room. What's the need of huddling? And God is saying, what's the need of coming to my house, singing all the songs you sing, preaching all the messages you preach, doing all the things that you do and say is for the glory of God, that when the giant comes, you run back in your house. You run back in your corner. You now want to... Anybody with me this morning? You know where I'm coming from. We're talking about how to be a giant killer, and we're just in trait number one. What is God trying to say? Look, I don't want you to think that you have to have this going on and that going on and have this and that in order to go out and face a giant. What you've got to know is God's with me. Somebody say, God's with me. He's all around you. He's all around you. And if God be for you, Folks, you got to stop talking about what you can't do. God is saying, look, that's the problem. Because the children of Israel, the army of Israel, got to thinking, we can't do it. They kept looking at the giant and said, he's so big, we might get hurt. David is looking at him and saying, he's so big, I can't miss. I cannot miss. God is with you. God is for you. God will surround you with favor like a shield. God will take care of his people. But you so look at your neighbor and say, we got to keep moving forward, though. You don't come out and you don't come to the house of God and huddle and then run back to your house and all through the week when you're faced with challenges, you forgot that you sang praises. You forgot that you serve a great God. You forgot the word of God. The word of God has to be nigh you even in your mouth. Look, those players, when they come out of the huddle, it's time to do what? Execute the play. The huddle is for you to get the play that we're going to run. Coming to church on Sunday is so that the quarterback, the pastor, can give you the play. Now I need you to line up. I need you to stay in alignment. No offsides. No backfield in motion. I need everybody that when the signal is given, you go forward. You go to the end zone. You take off. You finish. You don't look at the player saying, that's a big one there. Guys, do you remember when you played basketball and you thought because the guy was big? No, you check him. <laughs> I remember my brother's Slapping me on the back of my head. I think I got a knot back there still. He said, you check him, and you better shut him down. We, we had a, what you call a pickup basketball game. And, and the guy was way bigger than me, taller than me. But my brother says, I'm checking him. You check him. Shut him down. Folks, I don't, I don't care if the guy's taller than you. You can shut him down. You just got to know what to do. See, big guys, most big guys can't dribble worth anything anyway. Just steal the ball from them. 
You can't be intimidated, folks. That's all I'm trying to say. David is not intimidated by the giant. David is inspired by God. You have to stay inspired by God. Here's the second thing, because I've got to finish this. The second thing is this. Glory to God. I got so much more in number one that I can't get to. Uh, number two is this. Giant killers see the potential reward if they defeat the giant. Giant killers see the potential reward if they defeat the giant. First Samuel 17, look at verse 25 real quick. Put these up on the screen for me if you could, if you were able to. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 25. Because we've got to pack down into this one. Look at this. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king, look at this, this is the reward. The king will give great wealth to the man who takes this giant out. He will also give him his daughter in marriage, and he will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. How many of you like to be exempt from taxes? Look, the king's daughter ain't no one or two bagger. She looks good. There's a reward. Here's what he's saying. He says he's going to give him great wealth, going to give the daughter's hand in marriage, and your whole family. How many of y'all like to get all your family out of debt? And y'all keep saying, I'm going to hit the mega millions. Forget that foolishness. God can get you out of debt. This is what, so David is focused that, look, there's a reward. How many of you know there's a reward for serving God? The Bible says, when you give, it shall be what? Given. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. There's a reward for serving God. How many of you know you're going to get a crown of glory when you see Jesus? How many of you know the Bible says, God, Jesus says, I've got a place prepared for you. I've got a mansion prepared. There is a reward for serving God. There is something. Your labor, my labor, our labor is not in vain. When you keep serving God, look at your neighbor and say, let's serve God together this year. God is trying to get you to realize, keep serving. The devil is trying to get you, stop. The problems are too great. David is saying, yeah, but the potential is greater. The reward is greater. Giant killers see the potential reward if they defeat the giant. You understand? Look at verse 26. I, I, I like David. Look at what David does in verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done? Do you understand? They said, this is going to be done. He said, what? Say it again. What? Like Martin Lawrence. What's up? <laughs> Tell me what you just said a few minutes ago. What will be done for the man who, who kills this Philistine and removes his disgrace from Israel? Do you understand? David said, this is a disgrace for the body of Christ, the army of God, to be running and hiding Somebody say, great is our God. Come on. We, we, I always have seen that song, how great is our God, as a question. Because it's a matter of how great do you see God? 
The army of Israel does not see him as that great. They think that Goliath is greater. David doesn't see it that way. David is basically saying, do you know how big my God is? This may be a big giant. This may be a big problem that you're facing. This may be a, a monumental diagnosis that you've gotten concerning your body. But God is greater. Come on. God is greater. You heard Miss Abby talk about cancer. You've heard uh, Sister Blanca talk about, but God was what? Greater. Stand, Miss Abby. Stand, Miss Blanca, because God is greater. Some of you have overcome something. If you've overcome something, stand to your feet and shout, God is greater. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And you've got to continue to stand. The Bible says, having done all to stand, you stand because you have the armor of God on. You have weapons that are not carnal, that are mighty through God, and that will pull down. Every stronghold. Sit back down real quick. Amen. I got eight more to go, don't I, Sister Stephanie? Woohoo! <laughs> so David is basically saying, look, lots of money, marriage into the royal family, taxes and mortgages paid off. Well, David saw the potential and not the problem. Look, you got to see the potential. You got to stop focusing on the problem. Amen? Your God is bigger. Your God is greater. Nobody is greater than the God that we serve. Amen? The army of Israel saw the problem and then the potential. Do you know they knew about this? Do you, do you understand where this is coming from? The mouths of people who knew about it, but they are not doing anything about it. David is about to turn some things around. See, the army saw Goliath and David saw God. The army saw the problem. David says, I'm just focused on the potential. Giant killers see things that others are unwilling to pay attention to. You know, you, I don't know if you know why I pray so much, because I know that prayer works. I know that the prayer of the righteous is what avails much. I know that you, you, that I have overcome some tremendous things in my life because I just simply say, God, your word says, if I'll pray. You, folks, I didn't put this scripture up on this just for a cute scripture there. I wanted to get into the heart of every member of this church. I wanted to get into your heart. And when it gets into your heart, when it gets inside of you, you can't help but get up and pray. You don't care what time it is. You don't care what day it is. You know that you are going to get results. And my God will deliver results for those that are faithful, who will diligently hearken to his word, who will diligently seek him. You see, sometimes we just don't have that diligence. Do you know that they say by the time January 17th comes, Everybody who said they were going to exercise or even started to exercise have quit. They get out there the first day. Yeah! Got their little water bottle, got their little new outfit, looking the part, but not 
willing to take part in what it takes. Somebody say discipline. discipline. See, God's looking for disciples, and disciples are disciplined ones. And folks, Larry Lee probably said this the best when it came to prayer. He says you go from discipline to delight. It's not delightful to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning when you first start. But after a while, it's so much a part of your fabric, you can't help but get up. You look at your body, speak to your body, say, get up. We've got work to do. You know the devil is already up? The devil is already looking and seeking whom he can destroy, and you've got to get up. It's kind of like the, the, that parable they tell about the lion and the gazelle. The gazelle gets up knowing i got to run faster than the lion because if I don't, I'm lunch. The lion gets up knowing I must be fast because if I'm not fast, I get no lunch. You got to get up with purpose. Prayer helps you to get purpose in your life. Look, folks, we're not talking about prayer just so that we can just talk about it. I'm talking about getting results. I'm talking about getting results. Folks, prayer is meaningful to me because I get results. Every time you pray, you're supposed to get results. God's word will not return void. It will accomplish this. As a pastor, I try to teach as much as I can that prayer is not just coming up what you think is all willy-nilly words. Prayer is getting God's word in your spirit and out of your mouth. So when somebody tells me something about sickness, and my doctor says, okay, you need a physical exam. I don't want to, but I go, all right. This and this is going on with your body. I go to the word. This is what God says about my body. By his stripes, you are healed. No weapon formed against you. You understand where I'm coming from? That's what prayer is. We've made it about tonality. We've made it about how, 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 how many decibels we can raise our voice. We, we've made it about stuff that God says, that ain't going to... As my dad said, that, that ain't going to even make a hill of beans. Y'all city people don't know what that means. A hill of beans ain't going to feed you. You need a whole row. One prayer meeting is not going to be enough. You're going to need to get this into you daily. I'm looking at Vandy. I was sharing with him last week. And I said, Vandy, you look a little bigger. He said, I'm the same size. I said, but your arms are real big, man. Your arm, did your arm get big because you just went to the gym and ate bananas? You went to the gym and just ate snack bars, right? What did you do, Vanny? You, you, you did some resistance training. You pressed some weights that when you picked them up probably the first time, you go, ooh, this is heavy. I, I don't mind telling you, when I went to the gym and they told me, work out, the guy put these 40-pound things in there. He said, we're going to do some curls. I said, uh, you got something smaller than that? 40 pounds, 40 in this hand, 40 in this hand? Come on, Vanny, you know what I'm talking about? Man, I found the one that said 10. I said, I think I can handle these. 
And for about a week, he was okay. All right. Pastor, go get your 10. <laughs> but then, I love this. He wouldn't let me stay at 10. It was only seven days. Amen. On the eighth day, <laughs> he said, we're about to create something different. Amen. All of a sudden, every three days, he was increasing the weight. When I finish in my having a personal trainer time, my last set of weights, one Pablo, 60, 60, curl them. Curl them just like I was curling 10. That didn't happen overnight. You understand what I'm saying? But that wouldn't have happened if I curled it 10 one time and said, okay, I feel like I'm in shape now. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Nothing would have changed. Nothing is changing in your life if you don't realize that you have to have a continuum in this. You have to have a continuum in your prayer. You have to have a continuum in your study. You have to have a continuum in your even just coming to church. Folks, COVID made a lot of Christians lazy. Just flat out lazy. It, it didn't have nothing to do with the disease. You, some people just got flat out lazy. It's not a lot of everybody. So don't get yourself all in a knot right now because I said that. But for some, you got lazy. You weren't going to get up and go to church no more. You weren't going to get up and, and, and praise the Lord no more. The Bible speaks about the children of the army of Israel, even in a situation that they had. They said they hung their hearts in the trees and decided they weren't going to play Zion songs anymore. I'm not even going to hang my harp in a tree. I don't know if you were following me in the book of Revelation. Do you know God's going to give the saints some harps? God's going to give us some instrument that we praise him. Come on, come on, use You got your instrument now, use them now. Give the Lord a clap offering. Give the Lord a clap offering. Use your instrument. Don't ever get to a point where you won't use your instrument to praise God. And let praise, the Bible says, be, keep, be continually in your mouth. So giant killers do what? They see potential reward if they defeat the giant. You got to come to the point where the are you a person of fear or are you a person of courage? I want to ask you, where are you this morning? Courage or fear? Because if you have courage, then that means you're willing to step out and literally take a risk. I've shared with you, I'd said, growing up, growing up on a farm, peaches was my dad's thing. That was our cash crop. But one thing about a peach, or any fruit for that matter, where is the fruit? It's out on the limb. You got to climb out on the limb. You can't just stand there and hug the trunk. Anybody get the picture of what I'm trying to paint here? The fruit is out there on the limb. And the limb says, ooh, I might fall. The limb might, will this support me? Anybody ever got out on a branch? You understand what I'm saying? God said, come on out. Do you remember Peter? Can I come? God, what did God tell him? What did Jesus say to him? Come. But what did Peter have to do? 
step out. Folks, if you're going to kill giants this year, if you're going to be a giant slayer, God's going to require you to step out and do something that you haven't done before. But he's with you every step of the way. He gives you the measure of faith to get it done. This is why I was so thankful when I asked this question last Sunday when we were watching the feet of the leaders. And I said, there are some of you know that you're supposed to step into the leader. It took it risk. They took a risk. They stepped out and sat in that chair. And I washed their feet because I know that God is going to be using multitudes of people. Multitudes of people. To just... Folks, I said this in prayer. In the natural, most people in the natural says, what we're going to have to do is educate. And after we educate, we're going to have to legislate. And every now and then, we're going to have to litigate. That might be true. There's a level of education that people need to get. There's a level of laws that need to be perhaps put on the books. There's probably some litigation that needs to take place. But how many of you know God don't need none of that? God's trying to tell you, I will take you beyond something that you can't figure out in the natural. How many of you know God's ways are higher than your ways? God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Let me finish this. We got three of them out of the way or just two? Here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. Nope, here's the third thing. I'm going to go back to you again. You might have wrote some other things down that were subparagraph. Number one is this. Giant killers don't start off as giant killers. Number two, giant killers see the potential reward if they defeat the giant. Number three, giant killers don't listen to doubting critics. Giant killers have to get beyond being emotionally tied to people who are critics. Giant killers don't listen to doubting critics. Go to verse 28 for me if you could, Alfred. I believe that's Alfred back there. Giant killers don't listen to doubting critics. Read this out. Or read it with me. I'll read it out loud. When Eliab's, David's oldest brother, Heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And I laugh when I get to that last point. What battle? The giant comes out for 40 days and you run back into the tent and you call that a battle? But man, he's hard on David. Folks, that's harsh. Those are harsh words that he speaks. Look, this is a sub-letter to what I just said. You have to get past your critics. And I kind of put it like this. You have to get past your Eliabs. Who are Eliabs? This is David's oldest brother. This is a brother who's got some issues. For one, he's not happy that he's not king. David is going to be king. David is going to be king. And, and, and look how hard he is on him. See, you know what your Eliabs have? They have emotional. They have something emotional over you. 
And a lot of you get stuck with your emotions. Some of you, your sisters, your brothers, sometimes some of your parents, they abuse you, I know it. They use you. And they make you feel bad if you don't do this the way they said do it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's always got to be their way or the highway. And Eliab is like this. Look at what he says to David. Why have you come down here? You know why he came down there. We looked at that in chapter 16. His daddy sent him down there. His daddy loaded up with cheese, loaded a little cart up with cheese and, and wine and other things. He says, go take this to your brother. Take this to the king. And David is down there on assignment. David says, look, when you're on assignment, just stay with the assignment. Other people might not understand your assignment, question your assignment. Come on, I can't tell you how many times people have questioned. Pastor, should we be doing this? Pastor, should we be? I just know the assignment God gave me. You have to know your God-given assignment, and you have to stay with your God-given assignment. But do you know that you will have a critic along the way? And Eliab is one of those critics, and he says, how come you, you come down, and whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness with? And look at how he just berates him. I know how conceited you are. What kind of conceit has David shown? Except saying, what did the king say that you get? There's no conceit in his heart. Every time the king would call him and want music to be played and him to be a psalm, he would just go down. David was humble. Not conceited. You only came down here to watch the battle. Woohoo! What battle are you waging? See, critics will be critical of you doing something while they are doing nothing. I mean, you realize that your critics are always talking about what you are not doing or what they think you should be doing, but when you look at them, they are not doing anything but making noise. Who made that song? It said, talking loud and saying nothing. I'm going, I better not go back too far back there. Well, sometimes people are just talking loud and saying nothing. Saying nothing. That's what critics will do. But you have to get past your critics. So, this is when criticism hurts. This is still a subparagraph on the point number three. Criticism hurts when it's someone over us. Criticism hurts when they question our motives, and you can see he's questioning his motives. Criticism hurts when it's continual, when it's continual. Go to the next verse. I, I, I'll share with you why I said it's continual. Look at what David said. Now, what have I done? You know you don't make a statement like that unless somebody's already been criticizing you before. Now, what have I done? He's used to somebody, he's used to Eliab saying to him, you did this, or you didn't do this, or this is happening, or that's not happening. He says, now. You know, anybody have a big brother or sister, and, and you, you have to say, now what have I done? Now what have I done? I, I, I'm just trying to do what, I, what God told me, what my father told me to do. Now what have I done? 
Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? You, got, you understand critics don't want you to say a thing. They want to have the first word, the middle word, and the last word. They don't want your input. So he's saying, now what, I, what have I done? Simply because I asked a question? Eliab is jealous. He's not going to be the king. So you must get past your Eliabs. Your brother or sister or whoever that person is that's been the critic might be your supervisor, might be your neighbor, might be somebody that you looked up to, but they don't ever really encourage you. They generally spend most of their time discouraging you. Here's another type of person you got to get past. you got to get past your Saul's. Why Saul's? Saul's are people who are over you positionally. They are over you positionally. Do you realize it was at that moment that Saul began to not trust David? And I say it like this, because you know what would eventually happen with Saul? He was threatened by David. I'm the king. This guy seems like he's got it going on. How many of you know there are people who are threatened by people that have more gifts or talents than they do? David's got gifting. David's got talent. David's got courage. David's got something going on. And, and, and Saul can see it. But you've got to get past your Saul's. You've got to get past those people who feel threatened by you positionally. Because they think you're going to take their place. Folks, so you're just taking the place that God calls you to. And you got to be okay with that. If you're going to kill giants, folks, there are just some, th some emotional things that you got to detach yourself from. There are some people that are, as we would say, positionally over you. You just got to say, look, they just don't know. They just don't know. And you got to keep pressing toward the mark of the, of the high calling. Look at what Saul tried to do to David. Do you remember what Saul tried to do to David? He tried to put the armor, his armor on David. He tried to make David like him. You got to be what God called you to be. Amen? Look, I, I tell people, look, this is me. This is how I like to do me. You ain't going to see me with no jeans, with no holes in them. Just because everybody on the internet got jeans and holes. That's you. I'm not saying it's a sin, but that's you. Don't try to make me you. You remember when Saul tried to put the armor on David? They said, woohoo, this is too big. This is too heavy. I won't be able to do a thing. Don't try to put, look, folks, I was this way in college. That's been almost 50 years. Miss Pat got to meet some of my classmates back in this way. We went to the 40th. I said, same way, suit and tie. I always tell people, yeah, this was me. I started this when I was in high school. I like sports coats. I like suits. I like ties. That don't make me a better preacher than anybody, but don't make me a lesser preacher than anybody. You got to be you. I'm okay. The only part of me that was fake I chose to buy pipes 
to match my seat. So I walk in. I never smoked one. I just had it. I thought it was cute. I thought it was stylish. I thought it made me look scholarly. I didn't realize it made me look stupid. So I got rid of all them pipes. I had about 15 of them, all different colors. You all realize, I like the color coordinate. So I had a pipe that coordinated with every suit that I had. And finally somebody said, why you got this pipe? I ain't got nothing in it. So, See, a lot of times when you don't know what you're doing, you, you realize you're just doing stuff and it really doesn't matter. What you want to do in the kingdom of God is things that matter to God. Amen? Come on, let's go a little bit further. Hallelujah. One of the things that I, it's helped me in ministry is to get past my critics. I, I, I wrote this in my note. I say critics are solution pollution. They're always going to pollute whatever you're doing. They're going to try to make it look like it's something that's not viable. Solution pollution. Amen? I heard a gentleman, I can't even remember his name, but he's, he's a pastor in England. We were working together in Faith Christian Fellowship. And he says this. He says, Pastor, you have to understand your job is to drive the bus. Anybody ever seen a bus driver? Do you know what the job of the bus driver is? To drive the bus to the end of the line. When he goes and drives the bus, some people get off. But some people get on. When you're a pastor, you got to realize some people are going to get off. And, but praise be to God, some are going to get on. It's kind of like this. I look at it like a train. The train is moving. You can either get on or get off or lay on the track and get run over. I ain't trying to be mean. I'm just simply saying what God has for you to do, you got to do. You can't do it and try to be men pleasers. You got to be focused on being what? A God pleaser. And what God shows you, he shows you very clear. Just like this message. I know it was very clear. I'm glad that we don't cut down trees like we used to, though I printed mine out. But I was able to go back and say, Lord, I hear you. Giants. You're going to face some giants this year, but you will slay them all. And for me, it was plural, giants. Folks, stuff is coming because the devil knows that his time is short. It's not something because of what you've done or what others have done. The devil knows his time is short. In battles, in wars, when the enemy knows or the aggressor knows that his time is coming up, they send out a barrage of whatever weaponry they have. They're trying to, as we call it, take a, a last stand. The devil is taking his last stand, and he's shooting his best shot. But the Bible said, this shield of faith that you have will quench all of the fiery darts of the enemy. And if it's a Goliath, if it's a mountain, God said, I, I've got something for that. And that's why he shows us, David. That's why in Mark eleven twenty three 23, he said, you can speak to the mountain and say to the mountain, be thou removed and be cast in the sea. And the mountain must obey. Why? Because you're speaking what God said, not what you think. 
Not what you think is a good idea. And this is why you hear me say often, a good idea is not necessarily a God idea. A lot of people bring me what they think is good ideas, and I say, where did you get it from? I thought it up. Okay, let's put it on the shelf for a while. Because I'm not looking for good ideas. I'm looking for God ideas. And a God idea will always work. A good idea, not necessarily going to work. Saul has this good idea. But it's not a God idea. Number four, giant killers are not overwhelmed by the opponent. Giant killers are not overwhelmed by the opponent. They have this kind of mentality. The bigger they come, the harder they fall. But why are people overwhelmed? People are overwhelmed when our giants are aggressive. Look, that's why the army of Israel is running back. He's aggressive. Forty days coming down and aggressively saying, send out your best warrior. Fight against me. And if I win, you will serve me. If you win, we'll serve you. And they kept looking at his size and his aggressiveness. I, I said this yesterday. I was talking to one of the captains, Rodney, and I said, do you realize there aren't a lot of bullies in school? There are more good people than bullies. But what's the problem? The good people don't ever get together. And so they let the bully bully everybody. Well, today I'm going to pick on Juan Pablo. Uh, I see Kyle. I think I'll pick on him today. And see, all the people that were sitting with Juan Pablo, let me pick on Juan Pablo. All the people that sitting with Kyle, let me just pick on Kyle. It ain't a lot of bullies. There are more good people than bad people. Folks, I don't care what you're seeing on TV. There are more good people than bad people. Folks, folks this is, it was atrocious. I, I said I wasn't going to watch the dropping of that film, but I did. I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I did turn on the television, and it was all over the everything. I, I watched streaming news. So I, I, I hit a news streaming channel, and it was on all of them. But it still does not cause me to say, Every police officer is crooked or bad. They are not. Those were. All five of them, wrong. Deserve whatever punishment is going to be dealt out. But it can't cause me to delve out every police officer I now see. I'm going to trash them. I'm going to talk bad about them. I know too many. Some of them are my nephews who are Capitol Hill police officers. And they went through something on January 6th. Some of you have family members and spouses that are law enforcement officials, and they do their job, and they do it well. It's just like I never buy into the news talking about that's a drug neighborhood. Not so. You might have had... A person or perhaps some people selling drugs. But do you ever capture the fact that there are people who get up, prepare breakfast for their children, go to the bus stop, walk two, three, four blocks, work hard, provide meals, provide clothing, provide instruction for their family, but you never advertise that these people live in the neighborhood? You did what? Blight the entire neighborhood? Yeah. Come on now. As Christians, we can't do that. 
We can't do that. Yes. Those five Memphis officers, yes. They were wrong. But you don't put all of them into the same category. The person that sold drugs in the neighborhood, yes, they were wrong. But you don't make the neighborhood a drug neighborhood. You got more good people, hardworking, loving, kind, God-fearing people in those neighborhoods. Somebody was in prayer this morning. They, they were talking about orange caps, and I said, oh, my. I hadn't heard that term. My uncle started the orange caps in southeast D.C. And you know why he did it? He said, we're going to put on orange caps. We're going to go out on the street corners, and we're going to confront people because we know them. That's your son out there on the corner. That's your grandson out on the corner. That's the children that you, he said, these are children of hell. I changed their diapers. And I am never going to allow myself to be so fearful that I won't go out and confront them. Folks, you got to get past that point of your life where you go say, that's a bad neighborhood. Why is it going to continually be a bad neighborhood? Because you won't go confront it. Why is the giant continuously being aggressive? They are overwhelmed because this giant is aggressive. I don't care how aggressive it is. God is still saying, with me, all things are possible. Why are people overwhelmed, overwhelmed when you, your giant has a reputation? This giant has a reputation. He's big. He's defeated some people. Do you know how many that God has, how many battles God has won? He's won them all. Every battle. He comes out victorious. Somebody shout victory. In 2023, victory, folks. Victory. People are overwhelmed when the giant continually shows up. Look, the devil is not going to back up. He will continually show up unless you show up. That giant kept showing up until somebody of faith showed up. Jesus, you remember Jesus is confronted by the devil, and the devil continually showed up three times trying to tempt Jesus and to do something. And what did Jesus do? Continually showed up with what? The word in his mouth. If you continually speak God's word, and that word is now you even in your mouth, the Bible says you will resist the devil, and the devil will do what? Flee. But in this particular case, the devil said, uh, David said, you ain't going to flee. <laughs> this is your last stand. And it was. It would be so. People are overwhelmed. Why are people overwhelmed when they see a giant or have a giant situation? They're overwhelmed when your giant keeps defeating you psychologically. All this dude is doing is talking. He, he, he's messing with their psyche. Look, folks, I'm telling you, this is why the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, he says, don't be conformed to this world. But be you what? Transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How does one get their minds renewed? You speak the word. You keep the word nigh you even in your mouth. Amen? And if you don't know the word, if you haven't memorized the word, you need to pick up those little uh, 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 daily words. You need to pick up some kind of devotional. You need to Google every day a devotional so that you're going through and getting something that gets your mind stayed on Jesus. And when you get your mind stayed on Jesus, the Bible says Jesus will then keep you in what? 
perfect peace. The devil is just trying to take your peace. If you can take your peace or take your joy, he'll start taking your goods. He'll take away your confidence. You know, the Bible says, cast not away your confidence. The psychological thing is to get you to never be confident in God. You're looking at your own strength. You're looking at your own ability. And the Bible says, lean not unto your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all your ways, and he will direct your path. David wasn't overwhelmed. And you have to ask yourself, why wasn't David overwhelmed? Why didn't he have this sense of being overwhelmed? Number one is this. David had a passion for God to be honored. How many of you want to glorify God? Yes, amen. The Bible says whatever you do in word or whether you do it in deed, do it to what? The glory of God. I preach to the glory of God. You should sing to the glory of God. You should do whatever you do in your daily job to the glory of God. You should do whatever you do in your neighborhood to the glory of God. You should do whatever you do to the glory of God. There is no mediocrity with God. So never do anything that you do with mediocrity. Do everything that you do with excellence because you're doing it heartily as unto who? The Lord. You're not doing it as unto man. You're not doing it as unto a denomination or a church or a pastor or an elder or whomever. You're doing what you do to the glory of God. When I see people come up here to lead and praise and worship, my heart's desire, don't do this to try to raise an emotion from the people. Do what you do to the glory of God. I've shared with you, how, and I, I think just recently, how I, I went to the state of Alabama. And I was minding my own business, just going to church. This is, you know, I, I need to go to the house of the Lord. I need to worship. And I go to the house of the Lord. I'm there to worship. And the pastor said, you are a man of God. And you don't even know me. You don't know my name. You don't know anything about me. But he was right. And he said, can you imagine a pastor meeting a total stranger and saying to the total stranger, you've got a word for us next week? I did. I absolutely did. I said, these two people back here, Stephen and Lawan, they would know who Reverend Harris is. I, I went to his church one time. I, it was Mother's Day. He was pastoring. He's gone home to be with the Lord now. But he was pastoring a church called New Samaritan Baptist Church. My sisters were, were members there. And I said, I'm going on Mother's Day just to let my sisters know I love them and to wish them a happy Mother's Day. And I had several sisters in different churches. And I was going to this one at 8 o'clock. And the next one I was going to make in uh, uh, other parts. St. Stephen was the other church. It was on 7th and M. And I'm on Florida Avenue. And I go in. And, and Reverend Harrison says, come here, young man. I'm sitting out there like you, Tim. I'm just minding my business. He said, come here. You've got a word for us this morning. And I did. I preached that morning. Reverend Hamilton had never heard me preach a day in his life. He just knew that I was the brother of my sister, Ernestine, who's in that church. But I preached that morning on Mother's Day. 
I would never forget the message because I had never heard it before. And it was, you're standing on holy ground. Take your shoes off. When we preached, I felt happy that morning. I went to, I left there. Oh, God, that was, that was different. So I went on up to, from, that's northeast D.C., right? I went up to northwest, 7th and M, to my oldest sister, Liz. Her pastor was in there. You can know what's coming, don't you? Only God does stuff like this. I couldn't have wrote that script. I didn't even know until that morning that I should go and be with my sisters. But it wasn't just about being with my sisters. It was obedience to Almighty God. And Almighty God will take you and use you in ways that you couldn't imagine. And I preached the message again. Preached the same message this time, though. But it was God. It was one he gave me, and who gave me for two occasions, two ministers that I, when I say barely knew, you know, you know their name. They know you by facial recognition, but we don't have conversation like that. We don't kick it like that. But on that day, because they had been kicking it with God, and I had been kicking it with God, God said, he's the man. Bring the message through him. Giant killers. Folks, are, they have a, a desire to just honor God. David also, as we had already talked about, he had a desire to get the reward. I don't know about you, how many of you want to go to heaven? I do. I have a desire to get that reward. I have a desire to get the crown that the Bible says he, God has for me. I have a desire to do that. And the third thing is David had a confidence in God and not in himself. For me to go up into Reverend Harrison's uh, pulpit with no notes, thank God I did have my Bible. But you have to have a confidence in God that when I open my mouth, God's going to speak through it. Let me take you back to Alabama. You thought I forgot that, didn't you? I went to Alabama, and that next Sunday, I did go to church. Folks, I want to just say to you, this is a black man sitting in a white man's church, if I could say it like that. You understand what I'm saying? Alabama. And so this pastor said, whoo, that was a now word. And I thought, well, glory to God. I think so, too. I went on back to my military business because I'm down there in the military. I'm in the Air Force. I'm down there on what we call temporary duty in an educational class. I got to be there for six weeks. So in my mind, I got to find a place to worship. I can't be down here six weeks and not go to the house of the Lord. And this was outside, as you would say, outside of the gates and right outside of the gate. Then what happens? I come back. Now it's the third Sunday. I'm in this church. And the pastor says to me, there's another pastor that wants you to preach in his church in Montgomery, Alabama. Oh. And I thought, okay, nice. I don't know this pastor. I don't know his name. And I said, well, how did he hear about me? He said, we recorded your message. I took it to a minister's meeting that I go to on a weekly basis, and I played it. He said, matter of fact, there are several pastors who want you to come and preach. So 
I'm thinking, it's an honor. I, you know, they're going to have Pastor come. And I wasn't a pastor even at that time. I was a, what you would call an associate minister in a church. Ordained. And so I went to the second church in Montgomery, Alabama. Here's a problem. Everybody say Montgomery, Alabama. It's again a church, and this church, no black man has ever been in. And the pastor, where I preached first, did not tell the pastor who invited me to come that I'm a black man. Say so that shouldn't have anything to do with it anyway, should it? But if you could see in his eyes <laughs> when I rolled up in there, and it was like, it's too late to uninvite him. And here I come out of the back room with the pastor, and, you know, they got the big chairs up there. And I'm following the pastor, and I can just look at the faces of the people. I, run, I understand that scripture in the Bible when Elijah said, Lord, deliver me from the faces of the people. Because the faces on the, the expressions on their face were like, what in the world? That's Terry Bell's expression. What in the world? Folks, your desire to honor God has to be first, though. And so I stood. He introduced me. Nobody clapped. They just looked at me more intensely. So I started to pray. I think I prayed longer than I usually pray to start a message. <laughs> and then I started to preach. Everybody's still just looking at me. I love elderly people who love God. And there was an elderly lady, I would say somewhere in her late 70s to perhaps her mid-80s. And she stood up little handkerchief in hand said, preach it, son. <laughs> and folks, it was like the walls of Jericho fell at that very moment because all of a sudden, I'm preaching and nobody is sitting. Everybody is standing. Everybody is. I, I, I took one of our associate ministers, Doug Matthew, with me. As a matter of fact, I think the church went with me. I went to preach at a particular church. And I don't think you all were used to ministers standing up in the back of you going, <laughs> and, and nobody was saying, and it was like that in that church that had never had a black person to enter the church, let alone a black person standing in the pulpit preaching. But folks, it should not matter. Say that with me. It should not matter. If you love God, if you love God, it should not matter. This is why when Paul got his call from God, he says, I'm going to the Gentiles. And you knew that the Jews had nothing to do with the Gentiles, but yet Paul knew, I've got to go to the Gentiles. And he went to them. Just give me a moment. I'm going to finish it up because God told me to give all ten. Number five, giant killers build on past successes. What's the past success that David had? A lion came. 
a bear came. And what is he facing right now? A giant. But did not God give him the victory when the lion came? Did not God give him the victory when the bear came? And how, what would make him think that God will not give him a victory now? Here's number six. I'm moving on. I kind of feel y'all getting hungry. Number six, giant killers convince others that they can, they can succeed. Giant killers convince others that they can succeed they can succeed also. Look, all of a sudden, Saul had never gone out to face the giant. He'd never led his army to face out the giant. But all of a sudden, David says, I'm going to face the giant. And Saul said, okay, I think, I, I think you're hearing from God. We're going to send you out. Now, he tried to make David like himself, but David says, no. I, I, I got to do what I got to do. Number seven, if I can give you number seven. Giant killers don't try to be someone else. That's verse 38. If you look at that, this is where I keep mentioning how Saul tried to put his armor on David. Giant killers don't try to be anybody else. Alfred, can you put verse 40 up for me? You need to see this. You've got to see this. And, and you'll get the gist of why it's so important for you to know yourself. After Saul had tried to put his armor on him, look what David does. He says, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. You know how many, you see how many his? He wasn't trying to get hers or theirs. And a lot of times we want to do what other people are doing. And you got to know what is God told you to do? And stick with what God told you to do. And do you realize that pastors hear other people message and try to preach them? They get real excited about it. And then they get up there and make a bumbling fool out of themselves. Because it wasn't for them. It can't be delivered by them in that same manner. David knew, I can't be like other people want me to be. I can't be like what Saul wants me to be right now. Say, I am wondrously made. Say it out loud. I am wondrously made in God's likeness and God's image. Stop trying to be like other people. And please don't be writing me no letters. Say, Pastor, I saw this church doing this. I ain't trying to be like him or them. I know who I am. You got to know who you are and be who God has created you to be. That's what David was saying and throughout uh, this particular time. Amen? Giant killers don't try to be somewhere else. Number eight is this. Giant killers face the challenge with a higher purpose. Giant killers face the challenge with a higher purpose. If I have anybody from my staff here today, you're going to need to take my notes and just give them to anybody who wants them. Just make copies of them. You'll see more in there. I don't feel like I have time to preach it all. But giant killers face the challenge with a higher purpose. Verse 45 of that same text. Look at how David came to him. 
David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. All throughout David's approach toward that enemy, he continuously referenced God. He has a higher purpose. He's not just going for marriage. I'm sure when he was bringing the cheese and the wine, he wasn't thinking marriage. But you know what? If you're throwing it in, I'll take it. He wasn't going down there to get money, but if you're going to give me wealth, I'll take it. He wasn't going down there to get the rewards, but he knows that he has a God who will reward him, who will do exceeding abundantly above all he can have. And so giant killers face the challenge with a higher purpose, and that purpose is God. Amen? Giant killers, number nine, giant killers are eager to win. Verse 48, you'll see that in verse 48. Giant killers are eager to win. David ran to the battle. This is why I believe God gave me this message in the very beginning and the, uh, of this year, and it was take off. And one of the things I told you about an aircraft taking off is that the pilot, the navigator, puts the throttle into full throttle. And I was saying to you, this is a year that you don't pull back on the throttle. You push forward. This is not a sign where you say, I'm going to step back, Pastor. This is a sign where you say, I'm going to step up, Pastor. This is where you say to God, I've got to step into what you want, and I'm going about it full throttle. David went to face Goliath full throttle. He ran to the battle. He was making statements to this enemy as he ran to the battle. He's eager to win. And he knows he's going to win. And here's the final of, num of these ten traits. Giant killers take those around them to a higher level. If you will watch what happened when, giant, when he takes out Goliath, all of the army comes out of the tent. And they then charge the rest of the Philistines. Somebody asked me one time, why did David pick up five stones? I said, if you have read about Goliath, Goliath had four more brothers. And I think David said, if I got to take them out too, I'm ready. This is the kind of God that you serve. This is the kind of God that's looking for you to put that level of trust in him. I mean, you love God this morning. You love him? You really love him? Those of you that are watching us this morning, do you really love God? Then serve God. The Bible says, how do you serve God? With all of your heart. With all of your soul. With all of your strength. You serve God. God, it looks like it's a big problem. Not too big for me, son. Not too big for me, daughter. You just keep moving forward. My professor, political science professor in college, he would always say this, every class, forward ever, backwards never. Every class started with that statement. Forward ever, backwards never. That's how you've got to have a mind uh, when you, you're serving God. You're going forward, not backwards. You're not stopping. Do you remember the 23rd Psalm? Yea, though I walk through. Wait a minute, I stopped. No, you don't stop there. You walk through it. Death comes. You walk through it. Hardship may come. Walk through it. 
Why? Because you're walking with God. There's a brighter day. How many of you know if you've ever flown and, 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 and even had the opportunity to do fly an aircraft? Keep going higher. It might be raining at this level. The clouds may be rough at this level, but you keep going higher. That's why they said there's a silver lining on the other side of that cloud. Pilots understand that phrase because once you get up over the rough things, everything will level out and you're now at cruising altitude. And God is trying to get you this year to cruising altitude, church. He's trying to elevate you, but you've got to get it to the point where you say, I see these traits, Pastor. And I say this again. Somebody take my notes. If anybody want them, that's fine. I could have preached them without the notes, but I'm trying to obey God. Like, son, I want you to make sure you stay on track. Give the people what I told you to give them. Folks, these 10 traits I had to give. I forewent a lot of stuff that I thought I was going to do this morning. We're going to receive tithes and offerings. I'm going to remind you again, we're going to Israel. There are five other churches that I'm also inviting to go with us. You need to respond by April 1st and whether you're going. Uh, probably in the month of February, I will have a, uh, a time where we can answer questions or you can ask questions. You can get that insight that if you say, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable about this or that. Uh, I'm pretty sure after almost a dozen trips to Israel, I can answer most of the questions that you have. From weather to currency to packing and electrical requirements, all those types of things, we can walk you through it. But I think it's time to go, church. I know it's time to go. And I know that God says, take the congregation one more time. And it was just like that, one more time. I don't know if I'll ever go back to Israel after this time, but the Lord said to me, take the church one more time. You will understand this book of Revelation that I've been teaching for months now, even better as you go. And October is coming. It's going to come quickly. Hallelujah. Sister, I say I have a job for you, so see me before you go home. <laughs> oh, you're over here. Okay. Thank God. It's time to give. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm glad Ms. Patton knows God loves a cheerful giver. And why do we give? The Bible says it's simple. That there may be meat in God's house. And I share with you, at 6 o'clock this morning I was here, and uh, 7 o'clock waiting for someone, another ministry to come. Because God has blessed us. Our house is filled. So much so that our cup was running over and we we're able to give unto another ministry that's going to be feeding over 400 people today. But it comes from faithful, loving, giving people like yourself that we're able to do many of the things that we do. And I want to just encourage you, this year is a year that you don't pull back. This is a year that you keep pressing forward. This is where, uh, like the church at Macedonia, the Bible says, they gave sacrificially. Why? They were more concerned about the gospel going as far and as fast as possible than just their own personal conveniences. And sometimes we hold back what God's trying to get us to release. But this is 
kind of like a message. I, you know, Lord puts me on the spot, I feel, sometimes. I was in Canada, and it was the same similar situation where I was called on to preach a message. But I re realize now, every time I go to a church, I better go with a message. I even went to a funeral, and the preacher asked me to preach the funeral. It was just so unusual. But be ye also ready is all I take from it. And I was in Canada, and I was called home like that. It was a Saturday night service of all things. And the preacher called me and he said, I believe you have the message, young man. Preach the word. And again, when you study, just study, just study. And God will start putting things together for you because he put that together for me that Saturday night. God gives you the grace to increase when you have grace to release. This is a moment where God's asking you to release something. What he's trying to get us past is the fear of lack. Most times when people don't give, they feel like they're going to be lacking something. But the Bible says when we hold it, it's like a person putting stuff in your pocket. Anybody ever put something in your pocket and you, you got holes in your pocket? What happens when you put something in a pocket that's got a hole in it? It just falls out. God doesn't want your resources to just be falling out. God can, is a God that, if you don't know this, God says the children of Israel, their clothes did not wear out for 40 years. Can you imagine having a pair of shoes that don't wear out for 40 years? Say, Pastor, would they still be in style? They'd still be in style. Everybody else is wearing them. But God can bless you, and he can do better for you than you can do for yourself. Let's let God bless us even as we bless him. Bring your tithes. Father, I thank you for the people. I thank you for their heart. I thank you for their willingness to give. And the Bible says when it's given... When we give, it should be given unto us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, should men give unto our building. Thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Alfred, if you'll show the slide of Israel. Uh, it's, it's a non-narrative slide, but...
heaven and sing it again. You are name above all names. You are worthy of all praise. And my heart will sing how great is our God. Come on, sing that up with me. Lift it up, church. Say you are name above all names. And you are worthy of all praise. And my heart will sing how great is our God. Lord, we know you are great and you're greatly to be praised. We came in blessed. We're going out blessed. We're going out with a purpose to be a blessing, never a cursing. God, we thank you. You surround us with your favor like a shield. We thank you, Lord God, that this will be a great day because we're serving a great God. This will be a great week because our God holds all days and times and seconds in his hand. God, we're going to draw near to you. Your word says you will draw near to us. We will continually give you praise, God, and bless you at all times. And that praise will continually be in our mouth. I want to ask all of the men, ladies and children, I'm going to ask you very quietly, if you will step out. The Lord told me to have an intervention meeting with just men. And men, if you're able, just come. Just come to the altar. I'm just going to sit here with you for a moment. There's just something God put in my heart and I need to share just with men. Thanks again for joining us today. Here at Rainbow Family, our mission is to love God, love people, and change the world. If you would like to partner with us in any way, we encourage you to visit our website at rainbowfamilychristian.org.